Chapter Twelve of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter Twelve. Selwyn has been gone two weeks. I have heard nothing from him. I do not even know where he is. Yesterday, over the telephone, Kitty reproached me indignantly for not coming oftener to see her. Each week I try to take lunch or dinner with her, but there have been weeks when I could not see her, when I could not get away. Scarborough Square and the Avenue are not mixable, and just now Scarborough Square is taking all my time. Daily new demands are being made upon me, new opportunities opening, new friendships being formed, and though my new friends are very interesting to me, I hardly think they would be to Kitty. I rarely speak of them to her. Miss Hardy, the woman labor inspector for the state, a girl who had worked in various factories since she was twelve and who had gotten her education at a night school, where often she fell asleep at her desk, I find both entertaining and instructing, but Kitty would not care for her. She wears spectacles, and Kitty has an unyielding antipathy for women who wear spectacles. Neither would she care for Miss Bain, another state employee, a clever, capable woman who is an expert in her line. It is her business to discover feeble-mindedness, to test schoolchildren and inmates of institutions to which they have been sent, or of places to which they have gone because of incapacity or delinquency or sin of any sort. And nothing I have read in books has been so revealing concerning conditions that exist as her frank statements simply told. In my sitting-room at Scarborough Square she comes in frequently for tea with me, and meets there Fanny Harris, the teacher of an open-air school for the tuberculosis children of our neighborhood, and Martha White, the district nurse for a particular section, meets Miss Hay, a probation officer of the juvenile court, and Lulie Hall, a girl from the country who had once gone wrong, and who is now trying to keep straight on five dollars a week made in the sewing-room of one of the city's hospitals. Betty Flynn, who lives at the city home because of epileptic fits, also comes in occasionally. Betty is a friend of Mrs. Mundy. Owing to kinlessness and inability to care for herself, owing, also, to there being nowhere else to which she could go, she has been forced to enter the home. Her caustic comments on its management are of a clear-cut variety. Betty was born for a satirist and became an epileptic. The result, at times, is speech that is not guarded, a calling of things by names that are their own. These and various others who are facing, at short range, realities of which I have long been personally ignorant, are taking me into new worlds, pumping streams of new understandings, new outreaches into my brain and heart, and life has become big and many-sided, and a thing not to be wasted. Myself of the old life I am seeing as I never saw before, seeing in a perspective that does not fill with pride. Last night I went to my first dinner party since Aunt Matilda's death. In Kitty's car I watched with interest, on the way to her house, the long stretches of dingy streets, then cleaner ones with their old and comfortable houses. The park, with its bare trees and shrubs, and finally the avenue, with its smooth paving and pretentious homes, its hurrying cars of luxurious make, its air of conscious smartness. As contrast to my present home, it interested greatly. Kitty's house is very beautiful. She is that rare person who knows she does not know, and the house, bought for her by her father as a wedding gift, she had put in the hands of proper authorities for its furnishings. 
it is not that sort of home i would care to have but it is undeniably handsome and undoubtedly kitty understands the art of entertaining her dinner-party was rather a large one its honour guest an english writer whose books are unendurably dull but any sort of lion is helpful in reducing social obligations and for that purpose kitty had captured him she insisted on my coming but begged me not to mention horrid things like poor people and politics and babies who died from lack of intelligent care but to talk books so few of the others talk books except novels and he thinks most modern novels rotten she had told me over the telephone so please come and splash out something about these foreign writers whose names i can't remember burgesson is one i believe and brewer another and france anna anna something france he's a man and there's another one mater yes that's it materlink and listen wear that white crepe you wore at my wedding it's frightfully plain but all your other things are black i don't see why you still wear black aunt matilda hated it as i went upstairs to take off my wraps i smiled at kitty's instructions in her room she hastily kissed me do hurry and come down i'm so afraid he'll come before the others and i might have to talk to him literary people are the limit and this one they say is the worst kind billy refuses to leave his room until you go down says he'd rather be sent to jail than left alone with him ten minutes he met him at the club holding me off she surveyed me critically you look very well that's a good-looking dress it suits you i believe you wear pearls and these untrimmed things just to bring out your hair and eyes nobody but you could do it stopping her short quick sentences she leaned forward there he is coming up the steps with mr alexander come on they are inside we can go down now by the way she pinned the orchids at her waist with unnecessary attention selwyn got back yesterday he will be here to-night dick moran is sick and selwyn is taking his place at first he declined to come for weeks he's been going nowhere but he finally promised are you ready without looking around she went out of the room and without answering her i followed i was conscious chiefly of a desire to get away to do anything but meet selwyn where each would have to play a part but as i entered kitty's drawing-room and later met her guests i crowded back all else but what was due her spoke in turn to each and then to selwyn as if between us there was no terrifying unbridged gulf kitty's dinners are perfect i am ever amazed at the care and consideration she gives to their ordering in art and letters she has not learned but she is an expert in the management of household affairs and her dinner invitations are rarely declined at the table with its lilacs and valley lilies its soft lights and perfect appointments were old friends of mine and new acquaintances of hers and with the guest of honour i shared their curiosity very skilfully kitty led the chatter into channels where the drought was light and obediently i did my best to follow there was much talk but no conversation oh miss heath a young girl opposite me leaned forward i've been so crazy to meet you someone told me that you had gone in for slums it must be so entrancing i looked up for a second selwyn's eyes held mine and we both smiled but before i could speak kitty's lion turned toward me yes i heard that too 
Fixing his black-rimmed glasses more firmly on his big and bulging nose, Mr. Garrott looked at me closely. In my country, slumming has become a fad with a, a certain type of restless women who have to make their living, I suppose. But I wouldn't fancy you were... She isn't. Jack Peebles, now happily married, blinked in my direction, signaled me to say nothing, then turned to the Englishman. Miss Heath can do as she chooses, being Miss Heath, but the Turks are right. Women ought to be kept behind latticed windows, given a lute, and supplied with veils, and if they ask for anything else, they should be taken from the window. I don't agree with you. Mr. Garrett filled his fork with mushrooms and raised it to his mouth. The Turks carry their restraint too far. Women should have more liberty than is given them in Turkey. They add color to life, add to its uncertainties. Selwyn made effort to control the smile the others found uncontrollable. In your country, now, the woman question is interesting, exciting. There they do things, smash things, make a noise, keep you guessing. Over here their behavior is much less entertaining. Their attitude is one of investigation as well as demand. They have developed an unreasonable desire to know things, know why they are as they are why they should continue to be what they have been. They are preparing themselves by first-hand knowledge and information to tell what most of us do not want to hear. Selwyn's eyes again for a moment held mine, and in my face I felt hot color creeping. Never before had he defended, even with satire, what he had told me a hundred times as folly on my part. He turned to Mr. Garrett. Why on earth perfectly comfortable, supposedly Christian human beings should want personally to know anything about uncomfortable, unfit, underpaid ones? Oh, but I think they ought to. Again the pretty little creature in green chiffon nodded toward me. But you won't let Miss Heath have a chance to say anything. Someone told me such queer people came to see her. Factory girls and working women and... Oh, all sorts of people like that. Is it really so, Miss Heath? Very interesting people come to see me. They are undoubtedly of different sorts, but one of the illuminating discoveries of life is that human beings are amazingly alike. Veneering is a great help, of course. If you knew my friends, you would find... I'd love to know them. I always have liked queer people. I've been crazy to come and see you, but Mother won't let... I mean... Mrs. Henderson says she met a young man when she went to see you, who was the cleverest person she ever talked to. Gentle Annie Gaines was venturing to come to my help. He seemed to know something of everything. She couldn't remember his name. It's difficult to remember. He's a Russian Jew. Skryosky is his name. At the head of the table, I felt Kitty squirm, knew she was twisting her feet in fear and indignation. I turned to her English guest. I have another friend who will be so glad to know I have met you, Mr. Garrott. He's one of your most intelligent and intense admirers. He has read, I think, everything you have written. Absorbed in a salad, evidently new and to his liking, Mr. Garrett was not impressed by, or appreciative of, my attempt to follow Kitty's instructions. With any reservations of my bad taste in talking shop, I would have agreed, still, something was due Kitty. He tells me, I refuse to be ignored, that he keeps an advance order for everything you write, buys your books as soon as they are published. Buys them? 
With the only quick movement he had made, Mr. Garrott turned to me. I'd like to meet him. I'm glad to know there's somebody in America who buys and reads my books. Usually those who buy don't read and those who read don't buy. But tell me. Again the corners of his mouth drooped, and again his spectacles were adjusted. Why did you go in for? For living in a run-down place and meeting such odds and ends as they say you meet. You're not old enough for things of that kind. An ugly woman, uninteresting, unprovided for, she might take them up. He stared at me as if for physical explanation of unreasonable peculiarities. You believe, I fancy, that a woman is capable of deciding for herself what she wants to do. Again Jack Peebles' nearsighted eyes blinked at me, but in his voice there was no longer chaffing. She believes even more remarkable things than that, believes if people, all sorts, knew one another better, understood one another better, there would be less injustice, less indifference, and greater friendship and regard. Rather an uncomfortable creed for those who don't want to know, who prefer. But you don't expect all grades of people to be friends. Surely you don't expect. I smiled. No, I don't expect. So far I'm only hoping all people may, some day, be friendly. Kitty was signalling frantically with her eyes, and in obedience I again performed as requested, for the third time turned to Mr. Garrett. I heard a most interesting discussion the other day concerning certain present-day French writers. I wonder if you agree with Bernard Shaw that Breau is the greatest dramatist since Moliere, or if— I never agree with Bernard Shaw. Mr. Garrett frowned, and, taking up his wine-glass, drained it. Putting it down, he again stared at me. I don't understand you. You don't look at all as I imagined you would. At the foot of the table, Billy was insisting upon the superiority of the links of the Hawthorne to those of the Essex Club, and Kitty, at her end, was giving a lively account of a wedding party she had come across at the station the evening before, when seeing a friend off for her annual trip south, and at first one and then the other, Mr. Garrett looked, as if not comprehending why, when he wished to speak, there should be chatter. Later, when again we were in the drawing-room, he continued to eye me speculatively but he was permitted no opportunity to add to his inquiries, and when at last he was gone, Kitty sat down, limp and worn at the strain she had been forced to endure. "'What business is it of his how you live and what you do?' she said indignantly. "'He's an old teapot, but you see now what I mean. I'm always having to explain you to tell—' "'Don't do it. I'll forgive much, but not explaining. Your line doesn't roar well, still—' A line is worth seeing, once. I turned to Selwyn. I beg your pardon, did you speak to me? I asked if I could take you to Scarborough Square. I have a taxi here. Thank you, but I'm spending the night with Kitty. I'm not going back. In astonishment, Kitty looked at me, then turned away. I had told her I could not stay. I had not intended to stay, but I could not talk to Selwyn tonight. There would not be time, and there was too much I wanted to say. Selwyn's shoulders made shrug that was barely perceptible, and without offering his hand, he said good night. In the hall I heard him speak to Kitty, then the closing of the door, and the starting of the taxi, then silence. Dawn was breaking when at last I slept. 
End of chapter 12